Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week I am bringing back Coach J.Y. Obone to talk about the difference between liking and loving tennis and what that means for young athletes on the developmental pathway. We are going to be discussing all elements of junior development from the mental side to the physical side to the parents' role. And I know JY is going to provide lots of great insights that will prove valuable to all of you out there. Before I bring him on, just a quick reminder that if you haven't already, we would love to have you join us as a premium member. It gives you full access to ParentingAces.com, our podcasts, all discounts and special events that are happening, as well as complimentary consults with me. So if you are interested in joining, please just go to parentingaces.com, click on the join button, and it will take you through the easy steps to get that process underway. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Coach J.Y. Obone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. JY, we're so excited to get you back on the podcast. Welcome. Happy 2023. I know we're a little ways in at this point, but uh, nice to see you. Lisa, thanks for having me on. Nice to see you too. And great to have you back after uh, hopefully (laughs) a lovely trip uh, around on the other side of the world. So yeah, welcome back yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we had an amazing trip. I'm still working. Well, hopefully by the time this airs, my article will be done about my visit with my son in New Zealand. But yeah, we had an amazing, amazing adventure. Um, So let's jump right in here because we got a lot to talk about today. And you had texted me before the holidays and we were trying to come up with some topics for future podcasts. And one of the topics you proposed really resonated with me. And that is what is the difference between liking tennis and loving tennis, liking to be out on the practice court and loving to compete. And I think this is such an important distinction to discuss in this kind of venue so that parents and coaches and players can all understand what does it take to reach the highest levels of the sport? And the highest level is different for every single player, of course, but there are different stages of development and different levels of commitment that have to happen along the way in order for a player to reach his or her highest potential, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's and, – and what's so hard and, and the reason why that topic has really come uh, very on the front of my mind is because now that I've spent more time than ever working with juniors and I've seen them go through so many different scenarios after wins, after losses, after good weeks, bad weeks, uh, me challenging them, them reassessing their goals, all this, I get to see their behavior. But I get to see their behavior along with their communication to me. And the one thing, it, I don't know, it sounds so silly and simple, but I never really thought about it before, which is here I am talking to these junior kids and I'm asking them to give me feedback. These are kids. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to express <laughs> what they're feeling. Yeah. For the most part, they're going to give you the answer you want so they don't get in trouble or they're going to say something without really understanding what it takes. And because if you ask a kid that's 11, 12, like, okay, you want, you say you're going to fully dedicate yourself, like, and work as hard as you possibly can. Yes. Okay. They have no idea what working as hard as you possibly can on a week to week basis, at least in comparison to what the top juniors in the country and around the world are doing. Right. So they don't and, know. And neither do the parents, honestly. The parents don't really understand it either, unless they've had the opportunity to witness it firsthand. Exactly. And it's very different than working hard in school, which is not a physical thing. Uh, it's it's a mental thing. And that can be tiring. But this is a different kind of tiring is a different kind of stress. And here I was just taking these kids at their word for it and just being like, well, you're not you're not doing what you said you're going to do. You're not doing what you It's because they didn't know exactly what it was going to take, how hard it was going to be. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like what's going on? And you know, and where's the because, disconnect, right? Yeah. Where's the disconnect? Yeah. Um, is, is it me as a coach that I'm, I'm not good enough or is it them that they're trying to tell me that they actually don't want it? Or maybe, maybe it is something that a lot of parents talk about this. The stress is too bad or they're just overwhelmed and, and anxiety and everything with UTR. Or maybe they just don't love what they're doing. They like it. And it sounds great to be a division one athlete. It does. It's awesome. I mean, we all know it and we all hear about the great stories of playing at big time schools and these kids want to be a big time athlete. That's a great way to identify yourself, which, you know, that's a separate topic, right? Too many young people identifying themselves with their, with their successes on a tennis court. But I started to see the difference between liking and loving when I started to compare with other kids I was working where, and these two examples just really just blew my mind. And one example was a kid I was working with him Saturday morning for an hour and a half, a 13-year-old kid. And, you know, I we do technical analysis. I'm just a normal coach showing him some video. Right. Like, hey, you know, this is what I'm trying to get with your serve. And compare, I was comparing his serve and all this stuff. And this is this is why we need to get your serve in, in this trophy position and why. Okay. About an hour and a half after I finished working with him, get home, he texts me. Hey, JY, I'm at my house. I'm shadow swinging my serve and I'm looking at Djokovic's serve and I don't understand how he can do what he's doing. I, and I don't understand why, like, what's the disconnect? Why can't I get to his trophy position? Okay. I had never asked him to look at Djokovic's video. I never asked him to shadow swing at home. And I know his parents were not forcing him to do that on a Saturday afternoon. I know the family very well. They all work hard, but you know, they let the kid take charge. And here he was caring enough after what many people would say was, hey, you already had your Saturday morning tennis. It's it's okay. You can let it go. Go have fun. Be a kid. 
he was having fun. He was being a kid. He's having the time of his life trying to get better at a sport that he loves. So that really just shook me. Like, why hasn't anyone else ever done this? Why do I have to ask them to do this all the time? And even when I ask them, they still don't do it 90% of the time. Right. Um, then the second example, um, I'll try to make it short, which is I told the kid that we we're going to have a two-hour practice. And I wonder, I know the, the, the parents are listeners to, to Parenting Aces, so I wonder if they're going to remember the story. Um, I told him it's going to be a two-hour practice, and we're going to stop at 4.45, or at 5 o'clock. But it was really 4.45. I have no idea why I said 5. I knew I had to leave at 4.45. But it was going to be a two-hour practice. This kid is very young, works hard, loves the sport. So we get to 4.45, and I'd forgotten the time I told him. And he's like, but wait, wait, what, what time is it? And I go, it's 4.45. And he goes, but, but you said we were going to 5. And I said, look, it's been two hours. I know I said five, but I, I got to go. But look, you did two hours, you know, for your age. And the effort you just did is a great practice. And, he, and he's like, but I want to keep playing. He was genuinely frustrated that he could not play tennis anymore. Mm. I didn't have to force him. His parents never asked him to hit more serve. It came strictly from within him. Almost everybody else I work with, the second I say we're done, they don't care. Yeah. They're happy. I worked hard. I did what I needed to do. No one goes home, watches more tennis, watches the pros, tries to compare that stuff and see what they're doing well, what they're doing wrong, how they can get better. Because to them, that feels like it's forced upon them. Mm. They're working even more. But the ones who love it, it's not work. For them, they can't wait to do it. They can't wait to play again. They'll play 10 days in a row in a week if the, if the week had 10 days. Yeah. Um, they don't need to... They don't need days off. They don't need to be told to move their feet from the beginning. And once I started to compare these situations and many others that I think I'd take too long if I mentioned them, it really started to hit me. I'm like, what's the biggest difference? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it is. It's like for them, these trying to get to this high level is fun for them. Competing is fun for them. Be spending all day at the courts is fun for them. Uh, they can't get enough of it. And if there's an opportunity for them to get better at it, they're going to do it at home. You know, right. wherever they can, they're not going to go to the video games. They don't need to be told to put down their video games. Um, the others do. And then that's why I was like, okay, they're doing it, but there's a disconnect. Right. Um, so and that, that, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but what I want to kind of make sure we point out here is in these instances, you, the coach, aren't telling these kids to do more work. The right. parent isn't nagging the kid to do more work. This is all coming from the kid. That's that's the definition of intrinsic motivation, right? It's coming from inside the player, him or herself. And I just want to be sure the parents are hearing this because I get asked or, or you know, told all the time from parents when I do these consults, you know, oh, I have to constantly bug my kid to do this, to do their fitness, to work on this thing, to make sure their equipment's in order, yada, yada, yada. It's not your job to do that. <laughs> it's your child's job to take care of those things, especially if they're age 12 and older. You know, I get it for the younger kids, but once they hit age 12, they're old enough to manage those things. And if they aren't doing it, then I think it's time to have that conversation about what is it you really want from your tennis and whatever their answer is, be good with that. But again, it goes into this whole thing, JY, of does the kid really understand what it takes 
to reach the highest level? Does the parent understand what it takes? And is the coach communicating clearly with both those people to make sure everybody's on the same page? And this is also very important because all the kids I work with that were not giving me the examples of what I thought of someone who's just so truly in love with the game, right? Yeah. They were all people that maybe at first didn't understand what it took. And that's why I was brought in to show them what it takes. I've I've already challenged them enough times Mm -hmm. to do more, to stretch more, to work more, to play more, to work harder, to focus, do a lot of different stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're still not showing me. I have another player I work with and I'm not, you know, parents might know these stories. You might know who I'm talking about, but don't worry. I'm not going to mention names, but, um, you know, these are personal experiences and that's why I'm not making this stuff up. They're, they're another player I worked with, they were saying all the right things every single time I challenged them. Mm. Every single time I watched the match, nothing changed or it changed so slowly. It, it wasn't enough. I'm like, we still have to continue to work on things, these things. A year later, we're still working on the same four or five things. So at what point are they taking full responsibility for what they have to work on? And This is why we can't just listen to what the kids are saying. Watch what they're doing. I had one parent say, you know, should we try to move them to a different academy? Should we make the effort to do this and that? And I said, your child hasn't shown the willingness and love and passion for this game for you to work even harder as a parent to give them something that they're showing that they probably don't want. Mm. They just don't know how to say it or they're afraid to say it. Or they might want it, but it's not worth the effort. Mm-hmm. We all want these things. We're, I would love to be the CEO of the biggest tennis company in the world and teach the best players in the world if I could work three hours a day and then just see my family all day long and not have to work very much. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's right. a dream scenario. doesn't work that way, though. Right. Right. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting that we as parents, you know, and, and I say this all the time on this podcast, everything we do comes from a place of love. We're not trying to stress our kids out. We're not trying to sabotage them. We're not trying to make them feel bad. We're trying to provide them the best opportunities we can because we want for them what they want for themselves, but we can't want it more than they do. And this is the thing about tennis as an individual sport, right? It's all on the player out there on the court. You don't have a team to to blame when things don't go your way. It's it's all on the individual player. And so if you're not getting the results you want or think you deserve, you have to look inward and say what's missing here? What am I not doing enough of to get where I want to be in this sport? Parents, you know, I, I've been in your position. I mean, I, there were times where I definitely wanted it more for my kid than he wanted it for himself. And I know what that feels like, but all you're going to do is end up spinning your wheels and cause conflict. And that's not what we want. And, and we're so afraid of what they're losing out on at times, (laughs) Uh, you know, and, and, I, I can say this now because I'm a dad. Now I'm a year in, so I, I start to understand these thoughts a little bit more about wanting the best for your child. Um, but what if they're actually happier not going after this goal that they said they were going after? 
Mm. What if they actually are going to be happier just playing tennis for fun with their friends, playing high school tennis, playing club tennis in college? And maybe they didn't achieve the goal that they said, but they're actually happier because they're enjoying the sport in the way that they actually prefer, which is without the stress of competition or being that physically exhausted on a daily basis. It's hard. I, I mean, it, it can be frustrating to be that tired on a daily basis, but that's just the standard. I mean, it's tired um, and in pain. I mean, we hear, yeah, you know, the professional players, the college players, Every day, something hurts on their body. Every day. Yeah. It doesn't matter how great a shape that they're in. It doesn't matter how extensive their team is, you know, behind them, supporting their physical needs and all of that. Something is hurting pretty much every single day. And so you have to be good with that. You have to, yeah. you know, have the resiliency to deal with that. And if somebody doesn't want to deal with that, it doesn't make them weak. It doesn't yep. make them a bad person. It doesn't make them less than. It just means this particular journey may not be for them. And maybe they can tolerate, quote, pain in other arenas, you know, and and put the work in elsewhere because maybe that satisfies their needs better. Yeah. And that's why I, I always found college so great for me once I was able to choose my classes because I was right. able to say, Ooh, well, that's interesting. I want to go there. You know, you really have the time to finally see what else you like. But when you're a kid, so much is out of your control. Yes. It's such a big portion of your day is taken away to school where you can't choose what classes you take. Then you have a very limited window. And once you started working at something, well, you know, you feel like if you just push a little bit more, maybe you get what you want, but you're afraid to try other things because by the time you get to 13, 14, if you change now, either you get at it, get to be very good at it or you're not going to play Division One sports. Are you okay with that? So there's just not a lot of time to take chances uh, once you reach a certain age. And I think that's where sometimes, you know, we force things where maybe it was like, hey, just let it be, you know, just... I think parents should probably try to do this a lot more, which is, um, you know, don't sign your kid up for a tournament until they ask, but don't, don't bring it up. I've, I've seen parents do this too. Do you want me to sign up? No, don't even bring it up. If you have to, don't initiate it. Don't get it on their mind because the kid's probably going to say yes, just to make you happy. If it's one of those that doesn't love the game, right? Right. Um, just sit there and don't sign them up. Don't bring it up. Don't ask them anything. See if they're, they ask to play a tournament. Never get them a practice match. See, see if they ask to play a practice match with a friend. If they never ask, and you've, this child has been in junior tennis for a long time, it's been communicated they need to play tournaments, they need to do practice matches, they need to go to the gym, and if they never ask all this stuff, that shows you enough. You don't need to ask them anymore. Just let them be. Mm -hmm. Just let them play. Let them have fun. And could, If they want to play, they're going to ask you. And it's so easy to say that, JY. And <laughs> excuse me. It's easy to hear it, but it's so hard to do it as a parent, you know, um, especially once you've hit a certain stage in their development and you've committed so many resources, whether it's money, time, whatever, to your child's passion. And they're still not initiating the conversation, asking for the things they need. It's so hard to just sit back and and let them kind of veer in another direction. But, you know, for the sake of your kid's happiness, for the sake of your relationship with your kid, that's really important. 
Well, and for, for lack of a better word, quitting at the right time is actually the best thing to do. Yeah. You know, why do, why do we tell adults to quit a job they actually don't love? Why do we tell them, find your passion, find what you actually love? Well, I don't want to leave the job, you know, this and that. No, and we're, we, we all say that to, to adults. So why can't we say that to kids? Like mm-hmm. if you, it's okay to not be, and they don't have to even quit totally. They can just do their after school drills for fun. Right. And, and that's it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. They can just be a regular kid. But I think it all comes back to just they're going to show you what they really want more than they're going to be able to tell you. Because how do they understand what is real passion about something? They don't mm-hmm. know how to say put that in words, but they do know how to show us by what can we get ice cream? Can we go to McDonald's? Can we get pizza? Right? Oh, can I go to my friend's house? Like They, they love that stuff. Right. right. They're not telling you, I love to hang out with my friend. Pizza is my favorite food in the entire world. Can I please have this with my friend? They don't, they don't know that they don't know that yet, how to ex- express it. So just watch what they do. And, and that'll tell you a lot where you, you as a parent should put your time and resources. I also, you know, I advise parents to revisit the conversation quarterly, a couple times a year, whatever it is, because oftentimes, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, even 12-year-old will say, I want to be number one in the world. That's my dream. You know, I want to play at the top division one school in the country. I want to be this, that, or the other thing. Those dreams are awesome at a young age. But as we're discussing here, JY, the kids don't truly understand what it means to reach those levels at anything when they're young. They just, they have no conception of of that at a young age. They can't. So, I mean, yes, there is the rare standout that does understand it. But for the most part, the kids just know what sounds cool and what, you know, they're interested in. By the time they're 16, maybe being number one in the world isn't the dream anymore. Maybe the dream is I want to play college tennis. I want to have that experience. And then I want to go out in the world and be this or that or the other thing that has nothing to do with tennis. And so it's very important to keep having these conversations and understand what's driving your child. You know, is are they being driven by the need to please you as a parent or to please their coach? Or are they truly passionate about this tennis thing still and wanting to work at the highest level to achieve the highest goal? Yeah. And look, I was one of those kids when I was six, seven, you know, and I I don't think kids really understand even the ones that like stick with it. Right. And say, I want to be number one and they stick with it. It's not that they understand what it takes. It's that Yes, they say that stuff. Yes, they want that stuff. But in the moment, they love what they're doing so much. And that's why they're able to keep going. So that mm-hmm. even though they find out, you know, okay, great. I have to, this drill becomes even harder. Now I have to run faster. Now I have to do fitness. To them, it didn't matter because it was all done in the name of getting better at the game they love. So to them, it wasn't work. It was, yes, it was tiring, but it helped them play the game better. So to them, it was worth everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like that too. I My dad played pro, but I'd never seen a pro practice. I just saw them play well. So no one worked me at six or seven or eight or nine or 10 like a pro, but I loved every second I was out there. And so my dad was like, well, you got to do this drill now. Okay, great. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I never said, oh, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I might say I hate it, but I was on that court. I was on that line and you didn't have to tell me twice. I mean, it was always like that. 
And so it always came back to, I loved what I was doing every day. Well, most days I hated losing. So <laughs> sometimes you lose enough. You don't want to be out there anymore, but I kept coming back. No mm-hmm. one had to tell me to come back. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a few minutes ago, this whole thing of, you know, coming out after school and practicing and you and I were talking before I hit the record button about what's happening in schooling and tennis and competition that it seems we're seeing more and more and more kids giving up traditional brick and mortar school for either virtual school or some sort of hybrid or academy program where they're not in school, a physical school with peers that are not tennis players. Um, I'd love to dig into that a little bit because it fits right in with this whole conversation around loving the sport, loving the competition and the sacrifices that need to be made along the way. Those who've been listening for a while, those who've had consults with me, y'all know how I feel about homeschool. We did it in my house. Um, My son homeschooled for a year and a half. I think he would say it was a mistake. Um, He couldn't wait to get back into brick and mortar school when he started high school. And I couldn't wait for him to get back into brick and mortar school either. Um, And he lost some things along the way, you know, but he recovered and, and wound up doing fine. I, I'm curious to hear your take, JY, on why you think this whole homeschool thing just seems to be out of control right now, more and more kids choosing that option. And if we want to start to see a reversal in that trend, what needs to happen? This is a tough one. And, you know, the way I viewed this for most of my life compared to where I am now, you know, especially just even the last year, spending a lot more time in juniors. I wrote a blog last year about the things you need if you don't want to homeschool, but still make it to division one. I still believe in those things, but I do recognize it's become harder than ever to reach the highest levels of junior tennis and reach the highest levels of division one college without homeschooling. Now, I just say it's harder. I'm not saying it can't be done. Mm-hmm. I'm also saying the highest levels, not that you can't be very good. So you can still get to like a top 40 school, not, you know, uh, not homeschooling, but it's going to be very hard for you to probably make, you know, the top five team in the country. And the why reason is why that? Oh, sorry. The, the reason why it's gotten harder. No, I mean, we're, it's perfect timing. It's after school programs are no longer made for high performance kids. It's why I'm not. I'm not saying it's at their fault. It's a revenue thing. Academies, people have realized that they can make more money having regular junior clinic and putting as many kids on courts as possible. And even if you have four to six kids, that's not awful compared to what you have. But if every court's filled up, you can't do practice matches. It's very hard to do full court drills. Most academies don't have enough coaches for the amount of kids that they have. Or they just can't do the things that you need to really uh, spread them out and develop them in an appropriate way. Most coaches don't go watch kids play tournaments, so there's no feedback from what's happening there. So it's a revenue thing. Um, I think in my era, um, if you were teaching tennis, it was really because you loved it, not because you were trying to make as much money as possible uh, when I was growing up. Um, So 
now I think a lot of people are getting into this and saying, well, you know, there, there can be a lot of money if I have a huge academy in it. And it is true, but you, you can only do that sacrificing high-performance kids. So when are kids able to get the full-court drills, the, the practice matches, the, the attention from coaches where they can really see things in a detailed basis? It's when the courts aren't filled up, which is mid-morning. Right. So they just say, look, if you if you want to do it, go homeschool. And, and enough kids are doing that. And so what's happening is because there's also more kids than ever homeschooling, to break into that level is harder because there's more kids simply just practicing more than you are. They're just getting more reps, spending more time on the court. They're actually doing fitness. Um, and so that just makes it tougher. It, it's, a t- it's, a, it's a really tricky thing. If there is an after-school program that finds a balance between making it somewhat affordable or the, the club that runs the entire club just figures out to get revenue from different areas so that these kids can play practice matches on a weekly basis um, and, and do their fitness and have more, not even one-on-one time, but one-on-two time and full-court drills and all this. Okay, if you can get that, you're, gonna be, you're probably going to be fine. Um, but it's very hard to find. Yeah, it's very hard to find. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because, you know, that's why my son started homeschooling because the high performance kids that he saw were all coming to drills in the morning. And when he would go in the afternoons, it was more the recreational players. And he knew that if he wanted that same kind of training, those other kids were getting, he had to be available to train in the mornings. And, you know, it, it, even this is, 10 more than that, probably close to 15 years ago that we were making these decisions. So this isn't a new problem. It just is become more prevalent. And I think COVID kind of really shined a light on the fact that you can do virtual school and still get a good education. But a lot of the kids that are doing virtual school aren't getting the same level of academics that their peers are getting brick and mortar because there's just not the same kind of attention to detail when yeah. you're on the computer and you know you can have three screens up and you know get and answers it, to things and you know not have to put the work in. Yeah. And then looking I homeschooled. So are there parts that you know I didn't like? Yeah. I mean the social part was obviously very hard, especially because when I was homeschooled, it was so new that I was one of the very few in the entire city doing it. So mm-hmm. forget Academy. I mean, I was on my own, but I made the decision because, I mean, it wasn't because I was just trying to catch up and be good. Like I was already good. Thanks to my dad providing a great environment, but I, I wanted to be pro. I, I was 50, I was going into high school. I was a little older now. So it's not like I was 11 feeling pressure to get better. Right. Um, I, I just wanted to play tennis all day and I want, I wanted to make tennis my life. You know, that's how far I was willing to go. And my parents never had to ask me about it. Mm-hmm. All they said was I, I, I wanted to play ITFs because I wanted to try to get to the next level because I was already one of the top juniors in the country. And then we went to our local high school and they said, you can't, you're going to miss too many days. We don't care. Uh, you're going to be out. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to have to kick you out. So they wouldn't let me play for their high school team, which is very interesting. Um, but so my parents gave me the choice. They're like, look, if, if you go to regular high school, then 
this is what it is. If not, you have to, you know, go homeschool. I'm like, homeschool all the way. I mean, I, I'm just so happy to make that decision. Right. But, but I want to just point out one thing you said, which is you were already one of the top juniors in the country when you made this choice. You weren't trying to become one of the top juniors in the country. You had already put the work in and gotten to that level being in regular school. And so I think that's an important distinction for people to hear and understand. We just have seen Ben Shelton have an incredible Australian Open. I, I don't know if Ben went to regular school or homeschool, but I do know that this year's Australian Open is the first time Ben has ever left the country for any reason, much mm-hmm. less to play tennis. He grew up in an environment where he competed and trained in the U.S., period. He didn't travel for tennis. And he won the NCAA individual tournament as a sophomore in college at University of Florida, where his dad's his coach. He's now gone on, reached the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, which was an amazing, amazing feat. And he didn't have to travel all over the world as a kid to make that happen. I mean, there are ways to make this work and follow a more traditional schooling model, a more traditional competition model, kind of the Wayne Bryan um, approach, which is, you know, be the best on your block, then the best in your neighborhood, city, state, region, country. Then if you're the best of the best in your at home, then it's time to seek competition elsewhere. Yeah. But you can't skip steps. No, and I and I think if you're making the decision because you feel pressured for falling behind, that's not a healthy way to make that decision. Um I think level is definitely one very important factor on where the, the child is. But I do think the other thing is are they showing the daily desire where they, they want more? And it really, they're, them being on the court, because I heard this from another parent, and, and it was actually a great point, uh, you know, we were talking about in, in the, the group, just about homeschooling. And she said, she's like, look, my child's around his friends every day. He's homeschooling, but he's around his friends. He, he practices with his friends. There is that social atmosphere. He loves what he's doing. So if that's part of it, then that's different, you mm-hmm. know, but if you're just be afraid of missing out, afraid of falling behind, I think that's too much of a, I have to get better type of thing, as opposed to your child is so in love with this game, you're just giving them what they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's worth whatever sacrifice they'll make by not going to homeschooling. And they'll look back and be like, no, I, I did what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. not because I wasn't good enough as a player and I need to do something else. Right. Well, and there's also the added pressure on the kid, right? Which, you know, we've talked about burnout before and, you know, anxiety and all these things that we're seeing at younger and younger ages, especially in our kids that are striving to achieve big things with athletics or the arts or whatever it is. And, you know, to have that kind of, you know, thing looming over you that, okay, now I've, I've pulled out of regular school. I'm doing this homeschool thing. So now, you know, if I don't succeed with my sport, it's an even bigger failure. I'm letting more people down. That, that's such a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it can't be about the success of it. 
you know, and you do add pressure if you make the decision from that manner. And the parents probably going to feel that pressure too. Mm. Uh, maybe they won't say it, but it's like, I pull my son out, we're making this huge sacrifice and now it's not working. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, Hey, it's okay. Like if it doesn't work out, just go back to school. That's the other right. thing too. You can go back. I mean, if you want to try it, go ahead, try it, but be willing to go back if it doesn't work and, and that's okay. But yeah, if that's why, if, if you make the decision out of pressure to get better and win more, as opposed to you loving what you're doing and that's all you want, you just want more of it. And there's a, a healthy way to homeschool and get your tennis in. So you still get both. Then you're going to, 